Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we're joined by Frank Margonis, University of Utah. Frank, welcome. Thanks for sitting down with us. Thanks for having me. So, um, uh, to get us started, could you perhaps tell our listeners how you began doing uh, philosophical work on questions of education? How, how did you enter uh, this world of philosophy of ed? Um, I found philosophy of ed when I was pretty young, maybe 18. Um, so, my high school years were very fresh. I had uh, gone to a large high school and had the experience where I had a very different experience than several of my friends. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't see my friends during the school day, and I would just see them afterwards. Um, and it just uh, posed questions for me. I really didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand the place of education in our society. I took a course um, that talked about schools as sorting agencies that socialized different people for different roles in the society and offered them different qualities of knowledge based on the role they were expected to assume. And it was just, it brought uh, order to what was a very um, confusing situation for me. So that, that uh, gave me hunger for the field. I Those sorts of issues then kind of fueled my early thinking, like when are when are people being coerced or when are they being indoctrinated? When are they being controlled? What is liberating? If I'm uncomfortable with the sorting function, what would a better vision of schooling look like? What would be, what would schooling look like in a, a just society? Okay. So uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, your early life experiences sort of encountering what you took to be uh, perhaps an uh, injustice or perhaps uh, at the very least uh, an open question of justice uh, sort of guided some of the uh, uh, inquiries that uh, uh, brought you to philosophy of ed. Is that, is that right? Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, so, so what are those questions that you've been pursuing over time? I mean, so you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, sort of the sorting feature of education. You mentioned coercion. You mentioned, you know, uh, uh, thinking of a, a better way forward or a better role for uh, education or schooling to play in our society. I mean, uh, what sorts of things have you been working on over the course of your career uh, 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 attending to these and related questions? I've looked into a variety of literatures. I mean, in most directly connected to my youthful concerns, I, you know, studied theories of reproduction and education, how schools reproduce class and race inequalities. Uh, so that's like sociological studies. But there was a lot of philosophical work that was also relevant. Um, questions of when are people free? When are they indoctrinated? Uh, what is a liberating type of education? What type of curriculum is most likely to make people free? What type of pedagogy? Uh, then I started being interested in Paulo Freire and critical pedagogies, visions of how to 
make schooling or education more generally a, a liberating force for people who haven't been treated well. Uh, then as I've pursued critical pedagogy, um, it, uh, there are many criticisms have arisen. Um, and so I've, uh, continue my interest in critical pedagogies, uh, but I've added to that a variety of positions. I study phenomenology to better understand uh, the character of relationships in classrooms. I study uh, phenomenological ethics to try to better understand what is an ethical engagement between students and teachers. When, when are those relationships uh, problematic? Um, so those early questions have continued to fuel me, but I've turned to a variety of literatures in order to kind of follow those questions. Yeah, and so those different uh, uh, traditions perhaps uh, each give something different uh, to uh, uh, to answering the, the, those questions. What I hear you to be suggesting, though, is that perhaps uh, these questions of uh, liberation and, and so forth might be some of your central concerns, but uh, to your view, then, uh, in the work that you've done, I mean, what is it that we ought to be after when we're thinking of these questions of uh, liberation or questions of freedom or questions of uh, an ethical relationship between teacher and student? What sorts of things should we be after uh, relative to education or, or schooling? In the most general sense, mm. I try to understand where are we now? Mm. How is our society and how is our educators treating different groups of people now? Right. How is that a result of the institutional framework we find ourselves in and the historical moment we find ourselves in? Mm. And where can we go from here? Mm. And so... For example, at present, people who invoke uh, decolonial theory mm. have been extremely helpful because they they place um, men, many of our experiences within a, a long history, hundreds of years history, and show us the way in which patterns that were established, um, say, you know, in the 1700s or 1800s in the United States continued to be played out, mm. say, in race relations or in class relations or in gender relations. And so um, I think in terms of, well, how do we counter those histories? Mm. Part of those histories is that particular groups' knowledges have not been valued. Okay. Uh, so, for example, in universities at present, you know, there's many communities, knowledge bases that are not part of the academic discussion. Okay. Um, and so I think in terms of, okay, that's part of our present circumstance. What would it mean uh, to, you know, have educational approaches that draw off of ideas in, say, Chicano communities mm. um, or African-American communities or American Indian communities? Mm. What does it mean uh, to build off of those knowledge bases for the uh, on behalf of the people who use those knowledge bases sure. but also on behalf of the larger society which could be greatly enriched if uh, we made the university less parochial and okay. included the knowledge bases of many groups in my graduate studies I spent time in a, a really strong uh, department at University of Illinois called educational policy studies and I spent a lot of time in the philosophy department um, and the educational policy studies department was uh, far more integrated than the philosophy department. 
And so I noticed early on that the, the types of discussions we were having in an integrated environment, I mean, and it wasn't my discovery, my professors wanted us to all know this, uh, that the level of discussion was higher, the level of engagement was greater, the, the knowledge sources we relied on were much richer. Um, so it was just a glimpse of, oh my gosh, a university can be a far more powerful place than it is when it, it only represents a small percentage of the population. And so I guess finding that exhilarating personally, uh, but also feeling it as a, a more viable conception of how we produce knowledge, um, just has kind of been an example to me. It's like I, I want institutions to be integrated. I, want, I think it's a much more powerful thing when we're discussing uh, important questions like what is freedom uh, coming from knowledge bases, some of which re don't even accept the conception freedom okay. uh, oh, and, re and rephrase yeah. the question and or phrase it using a different ethical perspective. Mm. Um, I think it just forces you to think more thoroughly about what you value, but it also provides you a lot of options that you would not otherwise not have if you were relying right. on a more narrow set of cultural traditions. Right, yeah. And, and speaking of uh, sort of uh, this production of knowledge, I mean, so uh, uh, given the, the landscape at the moment of uh, philosophical work on education, what do you see as being sort of uh, uh, ahead of us? Or what are some questions that perhaps uh, we need to really be considering as we're producing uh, scholarship on these questions of education? Uh, what sorts of things should we be considering? You know, I don't know that I know that. Um, I feel like I often pose questions from within one cultural frame of reference. Um, so I'm extremely interested in questions like how do we counter uh, colonial hierarchies that we've continued to play out in education? Um, but, you know, by my own view of knowledge, that's, sure. that's one, one partial perspective, and I'm interested in multiple perspectives. I'm happy to be part of a conversation with many voices, sure. uh, but I'm very interested in uh, what other people think, and I'm, um, I mean, I know that uh, the European-American worldviews that I've been socialized into in many ways are more uh, aggressive and less uh, respectful of others in the earth than some traditions I've been exposed to. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in how many people pose questions, and I'm, interest, I'm open to the idea that uh, we're going to see questions arise that I have never foreseen. Sure. Um, oh, interesting. So, that, so, so, so that's almost to say that uh, your vision of the future is that the uh, f uh, your vision of the future of work in the f in the field is that uh, it might be unforeseeable as we uh, as we sort of reach out for connections to more knowledge bases. Is that is that, that, would, is that, that would be my yeah. hope? I mean, I'd love to see people saying things that I have to go home and study to understand. Work, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to me, that's exciting when people put in front of you a worldview mm. that's. Uh, so much different than your own that it takes you aback and you have to ask, okay, why did they say that? Right. What's the point? What, what are they thinking? Yeah. To me, those are great growth periods. Yeah. And to be truthful, I'm, I'm you know, given that I come from a position of uh, race privilege uh, and class privilege, I'm a little bit suspicious of my answers. I see. Uh, I, mean, I think that... Um, there are probably other knowledge traditions that are 
better place to be a guide. Mm. Um, but I want to be part of the conversation. But I, part of being part of the conversation means I very much want to hear. Yeah. So it sounds as though uh, perhaps as we start thinking about the future of work and philosophy of education, uh, there's a, a, a big component of listening to uh, the voices and perspectives of those who perhaps uh, uh, have not historically been at the table. Yeah. That's, that's definitely an interest of mine. I mean, you know, I, everyone has their biases. Um, I personally think that I've been exposed to um, indigenous perspectives that I found remarkably powerful. Um, I, I think that someone like Martin Luther King is mm. perhaps the, you know, the best uh, U.S. leader of the 20th century. Mm. And and when I say that, it's because of the inclusiveness of his vision. Mm. I mean, it's just it's, and that to me, uh, coming out of the knowledge bases of a community that's uh, had hard times and had to work through it, mm. I think is a, it's a epistemological strength. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I really I'm interested in you know definitely in hearing perspectives that I haven't heard and that haven't been highly represented. Frank, thanks so much for sitting down and uh, speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate the chance to talk. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer as our theme.